Welcome back. It has been a busy, busy week in between last week's podcast and this week's podcast. So I'm going to share a quick update on what's been going on with me. And then one of my favorite legal cases that I've covered because it was (laughs) filed and then mostly dismissed all within the span of two weeks. And it is hilarious because it includes a lot of judicial sass. It involves YouTubers. It involves pay-per-view. It involves copyright. All good things. All good things. So we're going to cover that too at the end of the show. And because we have so much to talk about, we should just go ahead and get into it. Hey there. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor, and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. Before we jump into today's case. I have a footnote from the future. Though the case between Triller and H3H3 was thrown out by the court for misjoinder, which we will get into, on May 10th after the recording of this episode, Triller refiled a lawsuit against the H3 podcast as a solo defendant in the Central District of California. It is much the same lawsuit with much of the same criticism. It's very, very sparse on facts, meaning there aren't really well-pleaded facts. And it is much of what we are about to talk about. But now there is a round two lawsuit, and I will be updating that on YouTube. And the links will be down below if you want to see breakdowns of Triller versus H3H3 round two. Let's get back into this week's episode. Cause this is Triller, Triller Night. Yes, the podcast we're talking about is Triller Inc. versus H3H3 and a whole bunch of other folks. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But that was how we were starting the quote, the quote of the show. And before we jump all the way in, I want to take a moment to thank all of all of you for your amazing support. The podcast has been trending and ranking across the world in news commentary. And I live like I live like this is news commentary, folks. We talk about the news. I mean, it's legal news and it's pop culture news, but it's still news. So in appreciation for all the kind words, I like to share some of them with everyone because A, they give me a giggle (laughs) and B, I get to see the different reviews from around the world. But if you're in the US, you're not going to see the reviews from Great Britain and elsewhere on their podcast app. So I can share them here. First, uh, one comes in from Dare Iced Coffee in Australia that says, Emily is the best, my favorite podcaster and YouTuber all in one, a mix of pop culture, tea, hunty, and legal. Love, love, love it. Thank you, Dare Iced Coffee. I also Uh, appreciate that review. That is, that is a perfect summary of what we do here. And, and I also love iced coffee. So, um, much appreciation to you. Hope this finds you well down under one is coming in from Devlin Rob in the U S pop culture and law question mark. Yes, please. 
found Emily on YouTube. She's warm, entertaining, whip smart, bubbly, and breaks down so many pop culture lawsuits in ways a layman can understand. Hashtag Lawnard. Thank you, Lawnard. I love that. I appreciate it. I always love you guys telling me that you think I'm entertaining because I get a daily dose of my kids telling me that I'm not nearly as funny as I think I am. And with that, we've got one more from Jago Forever in the U.S. that says, highly addicting, super smart, super entertaining. You learn about the law in the most fun way through pop culture. Emily is what they'd call back in the day a great broad. I never miss an episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those amazing reviews. Let's talk about what this week has been like. So from my birthday week last week, it was Dr. B's birthday. It was my birthday. But also it's the week we hit a hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube. This is a massive YouTube milestone for me. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't know if I would hit this milestone. Like as the channel started growing, I'm like, oh, there's a natural trajectory here. At some point this will probably happen. But when I started my YouTube journey, I just, it was like dare to dream, but maybe not really. It didn't seem achievable to me. And as the podcast grew, it helped me shift my YouTube channel to be a more deep dive of what we do here on the podcast and blend pulling up documents, breaking down lawsuits, and having some laughs all together the way we did on the podcast, but in a visual way. And it has been everything. The channel has grown beyond my expectations. I am now really a full-time content creator that does some consulting versus being a full-time consultant and attorney that does some content creation. And that shift has just given me life. It has been a pleasure and a blessing, and it's been so much fun. So if you haven't seen the the 100K live stream on YouTube, go check it out. I'm also going to share a little clipped down version of when we hit 100K on social media. So if you don't follow me there at the Emily D. Baker, and you will see kind of clips of me reacting to when we hit 100K and watching the the sub counter click over together and watching my sub counter in the background bing and screaming, literally screaming it binged and losing my mind about it. But it has just been by far and away one of the most amazing experiences these last six months, because truly in November, 2020, the channel had just hit 5,000 subscribers. And at the beginning of May, 2021, we hit a hundred thousand subscribers. I am blown away by the growth. And today, as I'm recording this, we're over 109,000 subscribers. I think we are going to probably hit 110,000 by the end of today. Who knows where we'll be by the time this gets released. (laughs) Things are moving quickly at the moment. And in that time, I've covered a lot of lawsuits in the last six months, some with more interest than others, some with more deep dives than others, some with more follow-up than others. There are playlists on my YouTube channel if you want to just go into a deep dive about each lawsuit. It's really easy to do there. Uh, Maybe podcasting one day will have playlists where you can do the topics instead of just do them in chronological order. We'll see. But today's, today's lawsuit I talked about on stream on Friday. I was celebrating my birthday and my new purple hair, which I love. Again, I will reference you back to the visual mediums that are social media, Instagram, and YouTube if you want to see the purple hair. I love it. Yes, it's permanent. (laughs) Yes, I'm going to keep it. Yes, I will probably add more colors to it. Yes, 
the next six months will be a constant evolution of my hair color and it's going to be fun and jewel colored and fantastic. So if you want to see that at the Emily D. Baker on social. But on Friday, we did a birthday stream and I definitely popped a bottle of champagne and went through this lawsuit. But as I was getting to the end of it, I was like, you know, this judge has been really sassy. Maybe there's an updated ruling. And lo and behold, there was one more ruling that I pulled up and went through. And it was just chef's kiss, cherry on top of this lawsuit. And I was like, oh, this has been a very long rambly stream of celebrating and doing a fundraiser. So I need to do a pared down (laughs) dive into this lawsuit because it includes a lot of components that are really fun. It talks about YouTube personalities that are also really interesting. And there's some good lessons to take away for uh, future lawyers, for future clients, if you've ever been in a lawsuit, just some just some key takeaways of basic things to look for. And I laughed my ass off through this whole live stream and will probably laugh my ass off through talking about it today because the filing is really poorly done and the judge has zero patience for it. And it's epic. It's epic judge sass. So if you want to see me pull up those documents, there will be a case brief on YouTube that corresponds to this. If you just want to listen to the sound of my voice, then you don't have to go anywhere because we are going to break down the Triller versus H3H3 at all. And that's not even the appropriate title for it because they're not the first defendant, but they are the most known and notable. The H3H3 podcast is a very big podcast. They also do the Frenemies podcast, uh, Ethan Klein and Trisha Paytas. They are YouTubers. I think they are also on podcasting apps. I mean, they call it a podcast. I'm guessing that they are and have a very large and dedicated audience of foot soldiers. I enjoy Ethan Klein and Trisha's dynamic together. I enjoy their podcast. Uh, I enjoy that they're long form content. So it was interesting to me to see what this lawsuit was over. And then because it ropes in like a pay-per-view, I was like, ooh. And it wasn't just any pay-per-view. It was a pay-per-view of YouTube drama. (laughs) That's not the right way to say it. It's a pay-per-view of a YouTuber fighting a retired fighter. So Jake Paul was fighting Ben Askren. There was a, a apparently a very large pay-per-view event. I haven't gone and looked at the numbers. Jake Paul says the numbers were staggering. He's made all the money, more money than anyone. Every time Jake Paul talks, and I don't care what your political leaning is, this is not a political statement. Maybe it is. I don't think it is. Jake Paul talks like Trump in the way that everything has this level of braggadocio that is like next level, like Trump, the apprentice Trump. I mean, he carried that into the presidency for sure, but everything is the greatest, the biggest, the shiniest, the bestest, the most amazing ever. Like he is the greatest human ever. Everything he does is insane. Everything he does is the best. It's exhausting. Um, And I'm, I'm just not a huge fan, but Jake Paul is, is a YouTuber turned fighter, I suppose, who's been doing some pay-per-view fights. His brother is actually going to be fighting Floyd Mayweather, which is insane to me that we now have YouTube fighters fighting actual fighters. I just worry someone's going to die, but we'll see what happens. So anyway, YouTube boxing is like a thing now. YouTubers fighting TikTokers, YouTube 
YouTubers fighting MMAers. I don't know. It's a thing. It's it for a while it was YouTubers making music and all of them thought that they could sing. I definitely am not under such a, a disillusion. I do not think that I can. I do it because it's funny and because that's what's in my head. But YouTubers with music careers, YouTubers that are putting out vanity project music videos, and now YouTubers that are vanity boxers. And that's what this is. But the Jake Paul Ben Askren fight was a very long pay-per-view event from all the reporting I've read about it. It had multiple music acts. And then the main event, the main event lasted like two minutes. (laughs) Like seriously, it lasted two minutes. Uh, And the ref called a stoppage after Ben Askren had gotten back up and was like, I'm good. I don't understand the ref stoppage. I don't understand how this happened, but it looks like Jake caught him on the jaw and he went down, but then he was back up pretty quickly. I don't know. Jake Paul's also a investor in Triller who was the promoter of the fight and the company that aired the fight. So is that a thing? Is that a concern here? Possibly. But we should just get into what this case really looks like. So let's do a breakdown of the Triller Inc. versus H3H3 and others lawsuit. First, a note about this lawsuit. This is a copyright lawsuit. I figured it might help to talk a little bit about, you know, WTF is copyright anyway. Just a little basic understanding, hashtag not legal advice. But there's a lot of confusion between what is covered by copyright and what is covered by trademark. So when we have a copyright case, unlike a trademark case, you know, the Colin the Caterpillar case, that's a trademark case. This is a copyright case. Copyright protects original works of authorship, where trademark seeks to identify the source of the goods. So you know what you're buying. Consumer protection. This protects the creator, essentially. And it's for things from literary works and musical works to dramatic works, choreography, pictures, movies, audiovisual works, sound recording, music, things like that. Things that aren't protected by copyright would be things like ideas and procedures and methods and concepts. It has to be tangible. And the copyright is created in the thing when the thing's created in a fixed form. In this case, the fight that aired on pay-per-view is the copyrighted audio-visual work. It is a TV, it's a pay-per-view broadcast that is solidified at the time it's aired. You don't have to register to have inherent copyrights in that, though they can also register the copyright for it. In general, you cannot use someone else's copyrighted work without their express permission. You know, things like licensing agreement. You'll see creators talk about getting copyright strikes on YouTube if they've used somebody's work without permission or without authorization, though there are some exceptions to the rule. One of the exceptions that we're talking about today briefly is fair use. Fair use is a concept that really promotes freedom of expression by permitting an unlicensed use of a copyrighted work in certain circumstances. And there's a factorial breakdown of when that's okay and when that's not okay. But in this context, H3H3 would be arguing that they showed clip of the fight after the fight aired for news reporting because it was newsworthy in that context. I'm not going to break down all of fair use because again, hashtag not legal advice. But if you're interested in a fair use, a fair use breakdown, 
let me know that you're interested in that. Getting into the lawsuit, this lawsuit was originally filed on April 23rd, and then the first amended complaint that we're talking about today was filed on April 29th. The first amended complaint just added H3H3 to this lawsuit, and then a press release was issued stating... As reported by Reuters, Triller said the fines are calculated at $150,000 per instance. So for H3 and other sites who rebroadcast the event to many more, the potential damages are large. We are taking this position because it is outright theft. It is no different than walking into a store and stealing a video game off the shelf. In the case of the offending sites, it's worse because they also then resold it to many people, illegally profiting from work not their own. In that same release, Triller also said that they would offer some kind of fakey clemency to people if they went and signed up and paid on this website and said, yeah, we pirated the fight, but we're going to go ahead and pay. And therefore you may offer us some type of protection from seeking further action, but copyright claims aren't just between the company and the people who might have pirated the fight. There are some federal claims there. It all seems very ill-advised. I think it's crazy that they put up a website and are like, hey, come tell us you pirated, pay 50 bucks, and maybe we won't go after you now that you've admitted to doing this and giving us all of your information instead of us having to go track you down and try to actually get you know, some type of subpoena for VPNs and figure out who you are. It just seems wild. And I wonder... And others have speculated if the reason that they filed this lawsuit against H3 and included them into the First Amendment complaint was to gain the name recognition to get the information out there that, oh, they are suing people, so therefore you maybe should go to this website, pay them 50 bucks, and give them all your information. Um, Not legal advice. I would never do that. I would never be like, yeah, I did this thing that's maybe illegal. Here's my name and information. Here's my 50 bucks. Hopefully you don't use that information to sue me. That seems like a terrible idea. Either way, getting into the the beef, if you will. No, this is a where's the beef lawsuit. We can't even get into the beef. There's no beef. This is all burger, no bun. No, wrong analogy. It's all bun, no burger. That's what that's what happens when you try to use Gordon Ramsay analogies and and aren't great. <laughs> All bun, no burger. All right, Triller Fight Club Two LLC versus FilmDaily.com, AccessTVPro.co, online to Livestream.us, CrackStreamLive.com, SportsToday.club, MySportsClub. Wait, MySports.club. Billasport.com, Trendy Clips, a YouTube channel, Mike, a YouTube channel, Your Extra, Y-O-U-R, not Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, Your Extra, Exlipped Gaming, It's Little Brandon, H3 Podcast, and H3 Productions. The suit alleges copyright infringement, violation of the Federal Communications Act, violation of the Federal Communications Act under Section 533, conversion, breach of contract, conspiracy, violations of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, vicarious copyright infringement. Here's the thing. You can't pirate fights. You can't rebroadcast fights. It's like you can't rebroadcast it. We know this. You can't rebroadcast anything. These are not for rebroadcast. Do I think that's what H3 did in this case? 
No, I don't think they rebroadcast the fight. Did they show clips of the fight in news reporting on the fight? Yes. But um, Ethan Klein from H3H3 said that he watched the fight and said that he did not pay for it. But this is not going after him for watching it as a consumer. This is alleging that he conspired with all the other consumers. Well, his company, the H3 Podcast and H3H3 Productions, conspired with all these other defendants to bamboozle the viewers and to steal the views and to rebroadcast. The thing that this lawsuit is lacking are any facts at all. There are no facts at all. There's a lot of there's a lot of hyperbole. There's a lot of, you know, dollar words. There's there's a a, a thesaurus that definitely got used, or maybe it was thesaurus.com that got a lot of use. But there's no actual like facts. And the thing about a lawsuit is you have to have at the heart of it, who did the thing that you're saying that they did, when they did the thing, where they did the thing, and what the thing is. You know, who, what, when, where, how. You need those things in a lawsuit. This one doesn't have any of that, but it does have a lot of words. So let's talk about some of those words. I love the nature of the action. The nature of the action section here should also then have facts or there should be a fact section in this complaint. This is a federal complaint filed in the Central District of California, but no, but no, that's not here. Nature of this action, quote, through this action, Triller seeks in excess of $100 million against defendants and each of them whom are cyber criminals for their outright theft and diversion of upwards of 2 million unique viewers by providing them with illegal and unauthorized viewings of the broadcast of the Jake Paul versus Ben Askren boxing event. I mean, it lasted two minutes. Do we call it an event still? Either way, plaintiff is the copyright owner and publisher of the Triller Fight Club broadcast. The broadcast originated via satellite uplink. Yes, we know. Plaintiff institutes this action to obtain remedy for and to permanently hinder the blatant, unlawful infringement and rampant theft of its copyrighted work by defendants. Defendants in each of them have utilized various torrent and streaming websites, such as YouTube and others, to unlawfully upload, distribute, and publicly display without authorization the broadcast to the users of such websites. Yes, they did the thing, and some of them put in PayPal links. Such has resulted in damages suffered by plaintiffs in excess of 100 million dollars. They've repeated it twice now, but we still don't have how they did it. But then they go on to allege that through defendants' egregious conduct, defendants also encouraged other online users to copy, share, download, and distribute the broadcast. Defendants further unlawfully facilitated, participated, and induced others to engage in the unauthorized reproduction, adaptation, distribution, and public display of plaintiffs' copyrighted broadcast all to line their own pockets with monies that belong to plaintiff. Defendants' plain acts of thievery, misappropriation, and infringement, as further described herein, um, spoiler alert, they're not further described herein anywhere. 
are tantamount to and no less deplorable than the acts of a pilferer poaching on and looting the fruits of another's hard-earned labor. So they came out swinging with a bunch of words, but it's all blah, 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 no facts, no dates, no times, no who, what, where, when, how. We've got who. We've got kind of aware because it says YouTube and stuff. So sort of, but no when, no when and nowhere for jurisdiction purposes, meaning you have to say this plaintiff was in this place doing this action, not uh, somebody on YouTube uploaded a thing. They've sued Mike. They've literally sued Mike. Mike is a defendant. Mike, 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 Mike. Mike, you're on, you're on notice. <laughs> You've been sued. Well, not anymore. And then they put in some links to the different sites. They put in links to Mike's YouTube channel. Mike has three things uploaded, including this fight. They haven't copyright struck the channel yet, it seems. So they haven't taken the fight back down. The fight's still up on Mike, 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 Mike's channel. Why do I say it that way? Because the hump day commercial gives me life. And there was a period of time at the DA's office when that running joke was not old ever. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? Hump day. It's a great commercial. It has still stuck in my head. It is years old at this point. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's it's a Geico commercial. Uh, Just Google hump day commercial. Camel. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? Anyway. They go on to say, with regard to H3, H3, and the H3 podcast specifically, that upon information and belief, defendant H3, H3 is a business entity, the exact nature of which is unknown. Literally, you can just search it. You can, if they're a California entity, you can just do a business search and find out. Doing business in the state of California, upon information and belief, H3H3 through Ethan and Hila Klein operates a YouTube channel, and then they put in a link to their YouTube channel for the purposes of permitting, encouraging, facilitating, and inducing the sharing of videos and live programming of audiovisual materials between users of the website. I don't think that accurately describes what a YouTube channel is, but okay, bro, go off. These materials include programming owned and or controlled by plaintiff, including the broadcast, which was offered by H3H3 through its illegal uploading and distribution of the broadcast. I think they played like 15 seconds of it on their podcast, so they would just argue this is newsworthiness and fair use, and they played it after the live stream. But notice it doesn't say, on this day, at this time, in this video, on this link. They were in California. It says the business operates out of California, maybe, because <laughs> the exact nature of which is unknown. The entire lawsuit reads like that. The rest of the lawsuit alleges that there are violations and that it's $100 million and that things were uploaded and or distributed and that all the different defendants acted together and as agents and or employees and or co-conspirators, but it doesn't actually have facts about what they did. So after filing this, the federal judge was like, um, yeah, what we're not going to do is just improperly file a lawsuit that has no facts. So the court on its own motion, sua sponte, ordered a minute order 
on April 28th. So the original lawsuit was filed on the 23rd. This minute order, the order to show cause was filed on the 28th. And then the first amended complaint was filed the next day. The first amended complaint didn't address any of the things in the minute order. It just added another defendant. So whenever the court on its own motion is like, bro, no, this isn't going to work for me. You need to pay really close attention, really close attention, because the court here um, is amazing. The Honorable Percy Anderson, you, sir, are fantastic. And to your law clerks, well played, because this is patient at first and tells counsel, hey, um, you done messed up. (laughs) Could you fix it, please? And what counsel said was, yeah, we're not going to go ahead and do that. Uh, please, please, please don't dismiss our lawsuit. Guess guess what? Spoiler alert. The court dismissed all of the defendants except for one, but does it in the most brilliant way. Let's talk a little bit about what the court said in their sua sponte order to show cause. The court writes that the court has reviewed the complaint filed by plaintiff Triller Inc. against defendants, all of them. Plaintiff alleges that it is the copyright owner and publisher of the broadcast and that defendants unlawfully uploaded, distributed, and publicly displayed without authorization to broadcast to users of websites operated or affiliated with defendants. The complaint asserts claims against defendants for copyright infringement, violation of the Federal Communications Act, violation of the Federal Communications Act, Section 533, conversion, breach of contract, conspiracy, violations of Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, and vicarious copyright infringement. But the court then says very quickly, federal rule of civil procedure 20 sub A2 allows for permissive joinder and provides persons may be joined in one action as defendants if A, any right to relief is asserted against them jointly, severally, or in the alternative with respect to or arising out of the same transaction occurrence or series of transactions and occurrences and any question of law or fact common to all defendants will arise in the action. Now that probably doesn't explain for you what joinder is. And you're like, Emily, seriously, WTF joinder is literally joining in all the defendants saying y'all are responsible for this thing that happened. So, uh, you, you all are vicariously liable or jointly and severally liable. So you, if, if one defendant gets a judgment, the other can get a judgment too. So everybody is part of the same transaction, part of the same action. This would be really common in something like a, a building issue or a, a structural issue where you have all kinds of different people who participated in building a house and you've got a drywaller and you've got somebody who's doing the foundation and the plumbing and they could be, in some cases, jointly responsible, and it's all arising out of the same thing, building of the house. In this case, I think plaintiff is trying to say that the fight is the thing, but the court is very clearly saying, no, no, the upload is the thing, because the fight's not the illegal action that's being alleged. The uploads are, and everybody uploaded it separately, because it's all separate channels and all separate separate websites, according to the complaint, so it's not one transaction. Anyway, the court goes on to say that the first prong, the quote, same transaction requirement refers to similarity in the factual background of the claim. 
the court goes on to point out that plaintiff alleges, quote, that it is informed and believes in their own alleges that all actions and omissions that serve as a basis for this complaint were undertaken jointly and with the consent, conspiracy, cooperation, and joint participation of all defendants. The complaint also alleges that at all times mentioned herein, each defendant was the agent, joint venturer, and or employee of each and every other defendant and is doing the things alleged in the complaint. Each defendant was acting within the course and scope of such agency, joint venture, or employment with the permission and consent of each of the other defendants. The court then says, other than these conclusory allegations, the complaint does not contain any well-pleaded facts that plausibly support even an inference that the defendants acted jointly. The court was like, you you can't say that. You can't prove that. Like, what lawyer wrote that? You you, you can't allege that they just did it. You can't just say words and have them magically mean what they mean. How do you say that they work together? How are you proving that they're employed by each other? How are you proving that they are agents or joint ventures when it's all these random separate YouTube channels that you've just decided to lump together in this complaint? The court is literally sitting here in this sentence saying, you're going to have to fuck right off with that because there's no facts. There's no well-pleaded facts, which is the standard for filing, you know, your federal lawsuit. You need to have facts. This lawsuit is all fuckery and no facts. The court goes on to say, instead, it appears that plaintiff has improperly joined its claims against multiple different alleged infringers who have no apparent connection to one another and who each allegedly infringed plaintiff's intellectual property rights by making the broadcast available on the separate websites controlled by each of the separate defendants. You know what that means? This is Emily interjection. That means that you need separate lawsuits against the separate defendants and the separate websites. The court goes on to say that the complaint does not specifically allege, identify, or explain any plausible relationship between the defendants. For the reason the court orders plaintiff to show cause in writing no later than May 10th. Um, yeah, plaintiff, come to court. You need to explain in writing how this all fits because you did it badly and your complaint sucks and it doesn't have the well-pleaded facts necessary and you've misjoined everybody. There's a footnote where the court says the complaint's allegations concerning the central district is proper venue for this action and in support of the court's exercise of personal jurisdiction over the defendants is similarly based on only legal conclusions rather than well-pleaded facts. So once we get past the joinder issue, we still have a big jurisdiction issue because the court's like, yeah, you haven't shown that this court actually has jurisdiction. You just said a bunch of shit and we're like, see, it means what it says. Nope. That's not how any of this works. That's not how any of this works. You can't just roll into federal court and say things and pretend it's a lawsuit. That's not going to work. And now you're wondering, but Emily, did they respond? Did Triller Fight Club respond to the court's order to show cause before May 10th? Yes. Yes, they did. And let's talk about what they said in that response a little bit. They have a statement of relevant facts, but the relevant facts only talk about the fact that on April 17th, 2021, Triller made a broadcast available. Um, oh, okay. So the fact that the pay-per-view happened is really the only fact stated. The rest of it just restates the previous complaint. 
Then they state as a relevant fact to prove to the court that these are properly joined parties that on April 23rd, they filed the complaint. What? Oh, oh, and as another fact, they added that on April 28th, the court ordered the OSC, the order to show cause. But it doesn't add any additional facts as to why these defendants are all, you know, acting jointly (laughs) or in connection or in concert or as agents of the others. They start to argue law, but the arguments are just without fact. So they're completely hollow and baseless because their strongest argument is from a case that says, quote, joinder of claims, parties, and remedies is strongly encouraged. Please, please, Your Honor, please, please don't throw us out for not having facts. See, the court says it's strongly encouraged to do it this way. Nope. Not going to fly. The fact that they even wrote this response blows my mind. If I were Triller and I was looking at having to pay for this, if I was charged more than an hour for this, even if I was charged for an hour for this, I would be pissed because it's like, you've just restated what you said above and you didn't do our case any favors and you didn't add any facts. You know why? Because they do not have them. They do not have the facts. They did not do the work that's required to do before you file the lawsuit. There are four lines where they try to add facts that aren't facts, that are just statements where plaintiff says defendants are properly joined in this action because one, defendants are jointly and severably liable for Triller's claims under the Copyright Act. How, bro? How? What? How are the, you can't just say that they are and have it be so. Two, Triller's claims against defendants arise from the same transaction, occurrence, or series of transactions or occurrences, i.e., the broadcast. Uh, Wrong, wrong. The broadcast isn't the cause of action. The re-uploading, re-airing, or distributing the broadcast is the cause of action. You're the plaintiff. If you can't properly identify the cause of action, we have problems. Like a first-year Civ Pro professor would barf on this. Like they would read it and just be like, Bleh. Like it's so wrong, it's wrong. <sighs> Three. There will be many questions of law and fact common to the defendants arising in this action. Really? Are we just supposed to take your word for it? Sure. That sounds that sounds like a conclusory statement and not a fact. Then they go on to say, again, the exact same things with no facts and kind of break down. There will be common questions of law. We just don't know what they are yet. Um, Triller can and will, this is their last section, Triller can and will supplement its complaint. Triller is eager to learn and plead additional facts concerning the identities and relationships between defendants. Uh, Your Honor, (laughs) Uh, we don't know. We don't know. We're excited to learn together what this lawsuit's about. We just, I mean, we filed a lawsuit in federal court. We have no facts to substantiate it. We think these are the people that we're looking for. We'd really like the court's help in doing our work. So could you please like let us subpoena shit that we probably can't get to yet anyway. Indeed, 
They go on to say, Triller is concurrently filing an ex-party application seeking leave to seek expedited discovery concerning defendants' true identities. Yeah, we don't know. Triller anticipates using the information learned through its expedited discovery to further support its claims. But there's no facts. So you can't get the court to issue you a subpoena to get information when you have no facts. At present, Triller is aware of certain facts demonstrating defendants' knowledge of other defendants' illegal uploading and distributing of the broadcast. Um, maybe plead them in your complaint? Because if you're aware of certain facts, let's not hide the ball from the court here. Let's tell the court the facts. Tell the man the facts. Because, you know, it's like your legal and ethical obligation when you're filing a, a lawsuit to, like, have facts. And also have a reasonable belief that your claim has like evidentiary support and stuff. Maybe? No? These are based, like we've learned this from Legally Blonde. Like in one of the first scenes, on one of the first days of law school, they talk about the fact that a claim should have like, you know, evidentiary support, but th- those are the facts and there's no facts here. So again, um, you just watching Legally Blonde might help you write a better complaint than this. I have so many questions how anybody signed their name to this and why they decided to do so. So Triller asked the court to speed up discovery so that they can figure out what their lawsuit is about, who they're suing, and how those parties are connected. The court says, nope. 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 So the court files a minute order on May 6th. It is their response to the response, if you will, regarding the order to show cause. And the court states, quote, the court ordered plaintiff to show cause why one or more of the defendants should not be dropped from this case for improper joinder. In issuing the order to show cause, the court noted that the complaint alleges that plaintiff's quote, is informed and believes, and thereon alleges that the acts and omissions that serve as the basis for this complaint were undertaken jointly and with consent conspiracy, cooperation, and joint participation of all defendants. The complaint also alleges on information and belief, quote, that at all times mentioned herein, each defendant was the agent, joint venture, and or employee of each and every other defendant. And in doing the things alleged in this complaint, each defendant was acting within the course and scope of such agency, joint venture, and or employment, and with the permission and consent of each other defendants. As the court explained in its order to show cause, other than these conclusory allegations, the complaint and the first amended complaint does not contain any well-pleaded facts that plausibly support even an inference that defendants acted jointly. Per my last email, (laughs) as I've previously stated, as I said before, Bitch, didn't you read my order to show cause? I've already said the court is not having any of this, which is hilarious to me. So the court goes on to say, instead, it appears that plaintiff has improperly joined its claims against multiple different alleged infringers who have no apparent connection to one another and who each allegedly infringed plaintiff's intellectual property rights by making the broadcast available On the separate websites controlled by each of these separate defendants, the complaint does not specifically allege, identify, or explain any plausible relationship between the defendants. 
plaintiff has filed a response to the court's order to show cause and an ex parte application for expedited discovery. As part of its response, plaintiff requests leave to file a proposed second amended complaint. Plaintiff's ex parte application seeks leave to serve subpoenas on third parties to assist plaintiff in uncovering the true identities and locations of defendants, which plaintiff claims it needs prior to filing a motion for preliminary injunction. Plaintiff additionally contends that the expedited discovery it seeks would assist in responding to the court's order to show cause. In addition to the legal conclusions alleged in the original complaint and the first amended complaint and the proposed second amended complaint, the second amended complaint adds the allegation that, quote, plaintiff is further informed and believes and thereon alleges that certain defendants were aware and informed their subscribers, viewer, and fans of the existence of defendants' illegal uploading and distribution of the broadcast, thereby demonstrating defendants' common enterprise. <laughs> the court goes on to say, nowhere in the plaintiff's response does it provide examples, you know, facts, of how one or more of the unspecified defendants informed viewers of other unspecified defendants' distribution of the broadcast. Instead, as it had previously, plaintiff relies on the barest legal conclusions to support the joinder of multiple separate entities without any well-pleaded factual allegations supporting an inference of any joint action by defendants. That's about as much as strongly as a court is going to word something. And the court is just going bite after bite after bite at this saying, I told you how to do it. You've come back with nothing. There are no factual allegations. This is the barest of legal conclusions. Like you've said words that have no meaning because there are no facts. And the court goes on for pages. This um, is four pages long, which is fantastic. The court goes on to deny <laughs> both the ex-party application for discovery and then dropping the defendants. But it doesn't miss the opportunity to take a jab at the broadcast itself. And the court goes on on its final page of its ruling to say, quote, plaintiff asserts that it requires the third-party discovery to identify the defendants so that it may file an anticipated motion for preliminary injunction. According to plaintiff, a preliminary injunction is necessary to prevent the irreparable harm of defendants continuing to offer the broadcast without authorization. Emily, note, make the copyright strike. YouTube will take it down. But no, they don't want to strike the channels because then it'll be resolved. They wanted to file this lawsuit, I think, for solely the purposes of PR, but you can't file a bullshit lawsuit just for PR purposes. It actually has to have facts behind it. Ugh. The court goes on to say, plaintiff does not, however, explain what irreparable harm it continues to suffer from the availability of copies of a live sporting event that occurred weeks ago, the outcome of which is publicly available and lasted less than two minutes. <laughs> the shade the shade. What harm are you suffering? We know who won. It was a live event. It lasted two minutes. What? It's a, it, it's, it's on Twitter. It's so short. It can be a Twitter video. Like what you could make a TikTok of the entire fight, basically. Lord. 
Plaintiff therefore fails to establish the emergency necessary to support the consideration of plaintiff's request to conduct expedited discovery. For all of the foregoing reasons, the court therefore denies plaintiff's ex parte application without prejudice to its being filed as a regularly noticed motion. Get back in line and do it right, the court is saying. The court additionally concludes that defendants are misjoined. Um, y'all don't go here. You can't bring everybody together. So at the end, the court says, accordingly, the court thus drops all defendants except Film Daily, who's the first named defendant. This order does not limit plaintiff's ability to refile its claims against the remaining defendants in separate actions. It is so ordered. This is the way, is what the court has said. Now, with regard to Film Daily, there's still no well-pled facts here and there's still jurisdiction issues. So it will be interesting to see if Film Daily just files a 12B6 motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim because they'd win, or if they filed the jurisdictional motion, but why not just get the whole thing dismissed for failure to state a claim? It will be interesting to see if Triller even tries to sue any of these other defendants. Like, go find Mike, Triller. Who's Mike, Mike, Mike. Go find Mike. Go maybe, maybe just go on the California business website and see if any of these are actually LLCs and then serve them there. I I honestly don't think H3H3 ever even got served with this lawsuit before it was over. They just did the thing. They filed it. They filed a press release about it. And then the court was like, no, no. And the court literally yeeted this so fast. This was May 6th. So from April 23rd to May 6th, it was filed. It was amended. Motions were filed. And the court was like, no, we are not. So Triller Inc. is out whatever money they paid their lawyers to create this mess. And uh, they're no better off than they were. If Film Daily gets served and responds, I'm sure they'll just make a motion to dismiss because you have not stated a claim for which relief can be granted because there are no facts. And the court made that very clear in their two orders to show cause, which is why this is going to get up there with Colin the Caterpillar as one of my favorite lawsuits because the sass from Judge Anderson, the level of I am not having your shit today is amazing. The fact that there was a little dig at the length of the fight was amazing. The fact that the court knows that the fight lasted two minutes, also amazing because the court or the research attorney, somebody did some information to look at the fight. I I love all of this. I I mean, I kind of hate it. And here's why I kind of hate it. Uh, This shit makes lawyers look bad. Filing frivolous lawsuits makes lawyers look bad. And filing lawsuits, yes, there are ways that lawsuits can also act as PR. We talked about that in other cases, particularly Nike and Satan Shoes. But Nike had facts and actual claims that they could have pursued in litigation. There's nothing here that can be pursued. There's nothing here that can happen after a motion to dismiss because they've not pled any action. They've not pled any dates, locations, things done. They just said a bunch of shit and were like, see? We have a $100 million lawsuit. No, you don't. You have a waste of everyone's time and your client's money, and it annoys me. But it was worth it for the judge, Sass. I imagine that this judge, the next time he sees this law firm's name on a filing, is going to go, no, no, nope. Let me take a look at what you actually filed, because I don't trust that you've done it right. And once you start losing the court's trust, you're going to gain a reputation if that hasn't been gained already. So I, I am, I am amused and entertained, though this lawsuit is just terrible. It's just terrible. This is, this is, look, if a lawsuit's filed against you, 
call an attorney who can break it down for you and explain, as I'm sure Ethan Klein's attorney did, like, um, look, there's nothing here that they can sue you for. This is going to sort out because, look, it absolutely did sort out within a very few uh, weeks here faster than most things ever sort out. And that, that is the, the very brief Triller versus the internet over the abysmal Jake Paul fight lawsuit. If they refile and it is equally glorious and we can have a giggle, I will let you know. If they refile it better, I will also come back and say, see, well done. Now you've filed a real lawsuit, like a real lawyer and stuff. But we will see. I'm going to keep an eye on what Film Daily does or if they even get served. Because if Film Daily doesn't get served, then this lawsuit will just be like, well, you failed to serve them. You're failing to pursue the claim and it's gone. And I imagine that that's what will happen. And when it does, I'll share that on social media. So go ahead and follow me at the Emily D. Baker. If you are in North America and you want to be kept up to date whenever I drop a new video or a new podcast episode, go live, sua sponte, <laughs> of my own motion when I feel like it on Instagram, join the text crew at textemily.com. That is a text crew between me and you. It is not a big group text thing. And I let you know when those things are happening and then answer as best I can to the things that you guys send me. No, I don't give legal advice there. So if you're going to text me and be like, Hey, I got this question. Nope. Sure. Won't get answered, but everything else I try to get to. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for being a law nerd. I hope that today's episode finds you well. And because we are still in a panorama, a shambalama ding dong, a global pandemic, we are doing our outro. So grab your glass and say it with me. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your family be well. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Take care and I will see you next time. Hey there, Law Nerd. Thanks for hanging with me for another episode. If you are looking for a way to show your Law Nerd pride, head on over to lawnerdshop.com for all of your amazing Law Nerd needs. That's where you're going to find your We Ride at Dawn merch, your Law Nerd Love merch, and even the very popular Control F Yourself merch. <laughs> it's all there for you at lawnerdshop.com. Dot com. You see me wearing it on social. It's exactly the same stuff you get. My favorite right now is the all black facts hat. And we have new merch coming every month on the 15th. So be sure to keep an eye out on social media for the latest and greatest. See you at lawnerdshop.com. And don't forget to tag me in what you're wearing. <laughs>